This message was presented at the DYC 2013 conference, Before Man and Angels, in Orlando, Florida. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.dycweb.org. Good afternoon. How many of you guys are a little slow after lunch? Oh, I was. I had to go out there and try to jog, try to walk, pray. I am just out of it right now. Especially after you do two seminars and then eat and just like, I just want to lay down on that bed. <laughs> Amen? So if I fall asleep while this is taking place, um, one of you Indian people are going to have to step in for me on this one, okay? All right. Why don't we begin with the word of prayer and let's ask Jesus to bless us with his Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you so much that faith is the victory. In regards of how we feel, Lord, we just thank you that you have said in your word, you have commanded our strength. And so, Jesus, we look to that promise and ask that you would empower us, invigorate our minds, and we pray, Father, that this message would be ordained of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, just telling you about all the future topics that are coming up. Uh, we have one more topic today, and that's how to witness to evolutionists and philosophers in the classroom. That's going to be a very interesting one. You're going to learn some practical tools that can make you an effective witness in the secular classroom, that intellectual arena where many people are afraid to enter into to be a witness for Christ. Tomorrow we're going to cover Angelic Psychology 101, the mind of an angel, the mind of an angel. And Saturday we'll be doing Lucifer and the Great Controversy, Mysteries Revealed about the Great Rebellion. I know many people have asked questions about the rebellion. Wait a minute, did the rebellion take place after creation? Did the rebellion take place before creation? How long did the rebellion take place? Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to answer a lot of those questions. So make sure that you are here Saturday. You should be here anyways, but come to the seminar if you can. So, all right. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, the Pledge of Allegiance for Seventh-day Adventists, right? And what is that called? The Three Angels Message. Who here can recite the Three Angels Message? The whole thing. Without looking at your Bible right now, or your iPhone, or your iPad. I saw some hands go like this. <laughs> Who can do it? Young man in the back. Go ahead. Yes. Oh, wow. You guys are really putting me on pressure. Go for it. Amen. Praise the Lord. That woke me up. I was like, I need to memorize that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 is definitely the Pledge of Allegiance for Seventh-day Adventists. But what's so interesting is how this message starts off. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven having the what? Everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, right? To those only in New Mexico. Is that what it says? No, to who? 
to every what? Nation, tribe, tongue, and what? People. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if we're only preaching the gospel to a select group of people, we are not preaching the three angels' message. Because the three angels' message goes to intentionally every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every people. Every single kind of people group this gospel is going to, ladies and gentlemen. And I know one of the reasons why you guys are here is because you want to learn, wait a minute, how can I minister to Indian people? Well, you'll learn some more, some interesting tools for that. Look what Ellen White says right here. Very precious to God in, is his work in the earth. Christ and heavenly angels are watching in every moment. As we draw near to the coming of Christ, more and more, still more of missionary work will engage our efforts. The message of the renewing power of God's grace will be carried to every country and climate until the truth shall what? Till the truth shall what? Now when you think of truth belting the world, what comes to your mind? The truth shall belt the world. Okay. Anybody else? Armor of God. Okay, what else? The truth shall belt. I seriously think of something that is constantly being hit. You know, when I was younger, my mom used to take the belt out. You know what I mean? And if you got Indian parents, I mean, it's not like you call, you know, CPA, you know, you don't call CPS on them and things so like, I mean, so like, when I think of the truth shall belt the world, instantly pain comes to my mind because I remember this. No joke. But what's happening is that the truth is just hitting the earth and just going all around the earth. Of the number of them that shall be sealed will be those who have come from every what? Every nation and kindred, tongue and people. From every what? country will be gathered men and women who stand before the throne of God and before the Lamb crying, salvation to our God which sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. But before this work can be accomplished, we must experience here in our own country the work of the what? The Holy Spirit upon our hearts. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if we want to be a better witness for Christ, what do we need to be praying for every day? The Holy Spirit. It begins in our heart, ladies and gentlemen. Now, if you take a good look at every one of these pictures, they are a reference to the Old Testament stories that really reveal how God had a plan for the heathens, for those who were not of the Jewish faith or even of the Christian faith in the New Testament. God ultimately had a great plan to reach them. Here you have the story of Naaman, the story of Nebuchadnezzar, the story of Ruth. You have the story of uh, the Queen of Sheba and other stories, uh, Jonah and Nineveh. You have these stories that are just laced throughout Scripture of God giving the message to Israel so that the gospel could go to the entire world. And if we forget that message, ladies and gentlemen, we will end up the same way that Israel of old ended up. And that was eventually becoming corrupt and stale and no longer fulfilling the purpose that God had set up for it. Remarkable. When you take a good look at the promise of Abraham, the promise of Abraham was, to, was that he would see his seed out in the stars and he would see a picture, sort of, you could say, of all the descendants that would come from him. And ladies and gentlemen, what is so remarkable, when you take a good look in our world today, I mean, the very fact that Abraham had this experience, when he was looking up at those stars, you know what he was seeing? You. You were one of the stars he was seeing. 
Ladies and gentlemen, Abraham was seeing all the spiritual descendants that would come from him. And he was seeing you. The very fact that God gave this promise to Abraham was a surety, was a, a very beautiful promise that he was going to have descendants or those who would be saved of every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Abraham was seeing you, ladies and gentlemen. He was seeing you as his spiritual descendants that would come. And what is so remarkable, ladies and gentlemen, is that that promise is still needing to be filled today. When you take a look at the world around us, you find out about a certain group of people. A certain group of people called Indians. Anybody know any Indian people around here? Yeah, you're looking at one. That's right. Okay. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of people can be very intimidated by Indian people. And so many times we see them, we're just like, I'm not sure how I'm going to witness to them. I'll go witness to these people over here. You know, we think that many times, and so we oftentimes label them as a very difficult group to reach. Or we'll say, we'll wait till Pastor Nell comes here. He'll know what to say to them. I don't know what to say to them, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to be very honest with you. But the Spirit of God has shown me some things that have worked very well. But we see in our world around us, especially in the United States of America, a lot of Indians actually taking more prominent roles. This is Bobby Jindal and the Louisiana governor. You find out other individuals that are taking more prominent roles, um, you know, whether they're in pageantry or in this, you know, uh, politics or in Hollywood. You find Indians more and more growing. I mean, we are like rabbits, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, once we go into an area, we immediately multiply. I have five brothers and sisters. That's how big my family is. You know, so I grew up just in a very big family. And Indians, whenever they migrate to a certain area, they tend to take their relatives with them. And so quickly, you'll find Indians will take over a particular area. And so like where I'm from, where I'm at pastoring, in Modesto, we actually have a lot of Indians who are from Fiji. The Indians came to Fiji, and then the Fiji, they became Fiji Indians, and then they came to Modesto. Now they're Modesto Fiji Indians there. And so, no joke, and so that's how it is. I mean, so we really multiply. And so it's so interesting. When it comes to outreach, many of us really fail at this. And what God is wanting us to do is re-examine this perspective and say, okay, what can we do that's going to work in reaching Indian people? Well, let's take a good look at some of the stats. Current populations of India, 2013. This is very interesting. 1,239,26 millions. The largest religion in India is Hinduism. 80.5% of Indians are Hindus. India's second religion is Islam. 13.5% of Indians are Muslim. The other majority religious groups in India are Christians, Sikhs, Buddhists, and Jains. And this is what's in India. How about in America? Indian Americans are Americans of Indian ancestry and comprise about 3.18 million people, or about 1% of the U.S. population. The country's third largest self-reported Asian, you get this? Where is India located, ladies and gentlemen? Yeah, let's not forget that. A lot of people say, no, India is not on the Asian continent. It's not in Antarctica. You know what I'm saying? It's Asia, okay. Self-reported Asian ancestry group after Chinese Americans and the Filipinos. So the Filipinos and the Chinese are up on us on that one. Communities of Hindus, Muslims, and Christians, Sikhs, Jains, Buddhists, Parsis, Jews from India have established their religions in the United States. According to a 2012 Pew Research Center, 
51% consider themselves Hindus, 18% as Christians, 10% as Muslims, 5% as Sikhs, 2% as Jain, and 10% are unaffiliated. And according to 2010 U.S. Census, Indian Americans had the highest household income of all ethnic groups in the United States. They're considered the most successful minority group in the United States. Why? Because most of them are either doctors or software engineers. All right, let's go into a little bit of understanding more about the religion before we jump into practical tools. So we're just kind of getting this survey course about what are Indians all, what are Indians all about. Hinduism involves worship of and devotion to one or more of 330 million gods and goddesses. I used to be a Hindu. About 12 years ago, I became a Seventh-day Adventist. God has been so faithful to me. Amen? But... I also, in my life, I grew up as someone who was an idolater. There were statues all over my uh, house. In fact, what was so interesting, my dad had so much idols in his house that he would have a, I'd go into his idol cabinet, that really was called the idol cabinet, and there would be a picture or a statue of Krishna, a statue of Ganesh, and then he would have a statue of Buddha there. I mean, like, my dad had everything. And then he had a statue of Joseph and Mary, and the baby Jesus was missing. And when I became a Christian, I thought to myself, I need to start praying like the Catholics do. I actually started praying to those two statues. You know, in my ignorance, this, was, this is what I was doing. But look at this. This number is not an agreed figure even among Hindu scholars. The reason why is because if you go to different parts of India, it's so, um, there are different, uh, you could say, it's very relative to particular areas. So one part of India, they may worship this kind of God. You go to another parts of India, they worship this kind of God or these gods. And so when you go to different parts of India, Hindu scholars actually have a hard time uh, being able to systematically produce Hindu theology simply because it's so relative to the various areas. Does that make sense? And so this is what we're dealing with here. Is this belief that expresses genuine love and a desire for relationship with personal deities? The earliest available Sanskrit writings on which Hinduism is based can be dated to 150 BC. The Vedas, which were orally transmitted about 1000 BC, but were committed to writings much later. There are two main writings in Hinduism. You have the Vedas, and then you have the Mahabharata, which contains the Bhagavad Gita. And so you have these. The Vedas are considered more holy in the sense that what there's actually, it's not so much what is being said, but the words themselves are holy. So the priests generally tend to read the Vedas. The common population don't read it. They read the Mahabharata, the Bhagavad Gita, or the Ramayana. The two great Hindu epics, the Ramayana and the Mahabharata, and by the way, the Mahabharata is considered the longest story epic poem of the Asian world. They actually made an Indian movie about it. No joke. It was... One two-hour segment for every week. I watched the entire story over the course of one whole year. It was crazy. That's how long that story is. And they were cutting corners to get to the other parts. Okay. The Ramayana and the Rahabharata are woven around quasi-historical princes and their consorts and are powerful depictions of the struggle between good and evil. The most famous Hindu scripture popularized in the Western world, the Bhagavad Gita, is part of the Mahabharata. The Hindu believes that the soul of the deceased returns to be born into another form, human, animal, vegetable, or mineral, depending upon the good works in the earlier birth. When I was a Hindu, I grew up as a vegetarian. We were strict vegetarian. I knew about potlucks and haystacks before I became Adventist. Really. And the reason why is because we were taught at a very early age that 
the animals, or you know, whatever they were, could be possibly the souls of deceased relatives based upon their karma. In fact, when my dad passed away, my relatives came to me and they said to me, your dad, he must have been a tree in his past life. And I said, why? And they said, because he was so gentle. And so like, this is the, this is the reasoning that you're dealing with, okay? And I had already become a Christian at this moment, so you know what? You, all you can do is just be respectful. This is where they're coming from. So now that we understand a little about Hinduism, ladies and gentlemen, when you take a good look at Hindu idolatry all over the world, let me tell you this. We do not have to be intimidated by it. Amen? Because we are dealing with people who are worshiping idols, it does not always mean they're going to kill you. Does that make sense? I know we have this sort of view of, hey, we better be careful about taking the gospel. I mean, these people have swords, you know, and they worship gods like this. Seriously, I mean, we sometimes look at that and we're like, yeah, I'm, I'll go over here. You know what I mean? So it's like we need to be very just aware that when we're dealing with America or the Western world, when we're dealing with Indians, ladies and gentlemen, they're as American many times as you as me, okay? Just with a little bit more curry, okay? <laughs> So, with that perspective, we need to realize that they are human beings that need to be reached, and God is already in the process of reaching them. Amen? That's why the Bible says He is the light of every man's world. It's not like of the, just, you know, those who are U.S. citizens and then the immigrants, well, they take a little longer. But you know what I mean? It's just because God is, like, working in every man's life. And by the way, I've been to several of these sites right there. What you are looking at, that statue is up in the northeast side of India, and it's in this place called Rishikesh, considered the second most holy place of India. This statue is so tall. What, where the people are in uh, respect is right here. This is the size of the people. That's right. It's like something right out of like Daniel 3 right there, you know? So. Sikhism. Sikhism is a monotheistic religion. It is the fifth largest organized religion in the world. Number of the followers estimated between 20 to 30 million. Sikhism was founded by Guru Nanak. It is based upon his teachings and those of the nine Sikh gurus who followed him. Sikh believe, Sikhs believe that all subsequent gurus possess Guru Nanak's divinity, uh, divinity and religious authority. These gurus each contributed to the Sikh holy scripture, which is called the Guru Granik Sabh. And by the way, I also come from a Sikh background. So when my dad passed away, when someone dies within Sikhism, they do what's called the Sikh holy ceremony. And what that consists of is, when a person immediately, immediately dies, the, the immediately, excuse me, he dies, then immediately the next day, they actually have three to four Hindu priests that are dispatched to a person's house, and they will read from the Sikh holy book for 36 hours straight, nonstop. It's sort of like their rest in peace rituals, their last rites, whatever you want to call it. And they'll be reading, like when my dad passed away, I went downstairs because I was really tired, I'm going to get some to eat, and I saw these Hindu Sikhs, and one would get tired, and one would come up and be like, okay, I'm taking over, and they would have to read it nonstop. They were reading from the Sikh holy book. If you go inside a Sikh temple, you will find the Sikh holy book in the mini canopy that's there as well. The word Sikh in the Punjabi religion means disciple. Sikhs are the disciples of God who follow the writings and teaching of the Sikh gurus. Many Hindus believe Sikhism to be a part of Hinduism, but Sikhs see Sikhism and it's an independent religion. The Sikh place of worship is called the Gudwada. Anybody ever seen a Gudwada before? It's a building where there's usually a lot of Sikh people entering into it, 
right? That you, you, that's the good water. It could be a rented building. It could be literally a tent. But when you see a lot of Sikh people gathered, if, and it may be a wedding, but it's probably a good water that's taking place. And weddings do take place at the good water, which means the resident of the guru or the door that leads to the guru. Sikhism was actually started when a lot of Muslims were attempting to evade India. And Guru Nanak, wanting to take the best of Sikhism and Hinduism, combined it, excuse me, Islam and Sikh, uh, Hinduism, combined it to form Sikhism. And this warrior culture was born. In fact, what is so funny is this. Has anybody here ever been to a Punjabi wedding? A Sikh wedding? Okay. My sisters, they got married the last few years. And uh, there are certain ceremonies I am learning about more and more every time I go to these weddings, okay? And one of them is called the Meili, right? And what it is, it consists of that where you have, now I'm, don't anybody get crazy and say, Pastor Nell's dancing. I'm not dancing, okay? I'm simply showing what was being done. <laughs> so anyways, the bride's party, which is her brothers and her male cousins, are all in front of the Gurdwara, okay? And the rest of the family is inside there. And the bride's inside the temple. And what happens, oh, I wish I showed you the picture. I have a video of it too. What happens is the groom will be showing up way down there. We did this, they did this at like some golf resort, and everybody was coming out staring at this. What they had is they had him, his party showing up, right? And he has all his groomsmen, okay? And they're coming up and they're just like dancing their way in, okay? And the music is really loud. So, like, all the American neighbors are coming out, the golfers are coming out with their just golf sticks staring and watching the whole thing. And they're coming out dancing, okay? And what happens is, they get up to this front, where the males are. And this ceremony is called the melee. And what it consists of is a wrestling match. Okay? And there, like, her brothers will go against his uh, top groomsmen. Okay? It's about three or four. It's sort of like a wrestling It's more like a tussling match. And what it is, is, can I borrow somebody <laughs> real quick? All right, you can come over here. And so here they are, and I'm there, and my cousins are telling me, they're like, you know, they picked the judo expert to go against you. The judo expert? I was like, really? Yeah, I'm like, which one is he? He's the Asian one. You see the only Asian one with the Indians? That's him right there. I was like, okay. And so what happens is, you, man, you're tall. <laughs> and this is part of the warrior culture mindset, okay? Um, and so what happens is, we, there's a crowd around us. I'm over here, my family's here, and my cousin's like, go first. I was like, okay. So I looked at him, and we look at each other. I hand him a gift, take the gift, and you take it. Then you hand me a gift. Okay. And it's usually like a blanket. It's the women actually do that part. So he gives me a gift, and as soon as I take the gift, I'm looking at him. Not yet. And so... I'm putting the gift down. I had to do this multiple times, okay? I put the gift down, and we're looking at each other. And at first, it looks like we're about to hug each other, okay? And what happens at this point is that a wrestling match takes place, okay? And the goal is whoever can lift each other off and essentially insult them, okay? I really prayed to Jesus about this one, okay? Because I was like, Lord, my family's not Christian. How in the world do I gain their respect right now? I mean, they lost a lot of respect for me when I became a Christian. And I was like, God, I need, win I need to win points right here. 
and it was so amazing, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, I just utterly picked that guy up, and I just like swung him like a baby, like two or three times. No joke. Thank we you. I appreciate see that part. <laughs> it's actually in the video. But what's really interesting is that various of my uncles and cousins will have to do this. This is part of that warrior culture mindset that exists there. Sikhs will actually have what's called the five, five Ks, the Kesh, the Kanga, the Kach, the Kirpan, and the Kara. And it consists of the uncut hair. When you're looking at a turban, ladies and gentlemen, it's not a helmet. There's actual hair in there. Long hair. The males do not cut their hair. They shower and bathe every single day. So they keep the hair clean, but they will wrap the hair every single day as well. They have what's called the ganga, which is a special comb. In wartime, the turban actually served as an effective helmet to you know, block some of the blows when they were struck on the head. The kach, which is special Sikh underwear. The kirpan, which is a mini dagger. And then you have the kara, or the kara, which is a metal bracelet. And by the way, as I said before in the past, the way to identify a Punjabi Indian is if the male is wearing a metal bracelet. I used to wear one until I became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. So if you see somebody wearing a metal bracelet, say to them, you must be Punjabi. And they will be like, oh, you know my language. You know my culture. You know? They'll be very happy about that, ladies and gentlemen. Seriously, so that's one of the ways to identify a Punjabi Indian. The males will be wearing a metal bracelet on their left or right hand. Okay? Now, here are just a few things about Sikhism, but we're going to skip them. Uh, just because I'm going to get into a very special point that I think we need to uh, get past. And that is this. There is no caste system in Sikhism, since all have been created equally. Women are to be accepted alongside men. Conversion in Sikhism is through attraction, not active evangelism. To become a Sikh, one must declare one's total faith in the Guru's word, surrender to the Lord's divine will, and accept the baptism of the sword, administered by five Sikhs in the presence of the Guru Granth Sahib, which is special, like a special drink that they just drink. So... And you can see that Sikhs are spreading all over America, you know, and you can see them in different parts of the world. Sometimes you see the older Sikhs with their little white tennis shoes, you know, the older ones are just walking and some good exercise. And so you see this all over America. You also have a, another kind of religion in India and also um, parts of America as well, which uh, has to do with Islam, okay? Um, there's not too many Muslim Indians in America. But Islam cannot be defined as a religion in the Western sense of the world. Neither can it be termed as a faith. Muslim scholars state that Islam is an all-encompassing system, a social, political, social, religious, as well as social, economic, social, educational, legislative, judiciary, and military system governing every aspect of the lives of its adherents, their relationships among themselves and with those who are non-Muslims. So in every area of our life, devout Islam, uh, Muslims have to um, adjust accordingly to Islam. The five pillars of Islam are the testimony, the prayer, the almsgiving, the fasting, the pilgrimage. A Muslim's entrance into paradise hinges on obedience to these five pillars. Still, Allah may reject them. What's very interesting is I had an interview with an imam who is sort of the head of a mosque. And what happens is I was talking to him about the will of God. I was just doing some great controversy surveys and studies. And we sat down and we talked and we asked him about God's will. How do we understand God's will? How do we understand our will? And they said... God's will, our life, is in between God's finger. And he says, he just did this. And you put your finger like, and he went like this. And he says, you may be lost, you may be saved. It's all dependent upon God's will. And so we really questioned him on this idea of free will, freedom itself. It's a very interesting conversation. And so you see Islam also growing as well. All right, 
Indians can be a very difficult people group to minister to. Sometimes their culture, religion, or even looks can intimidate many. And sometimes to the point where many Christians avoid trying to evangelize them here in the West. But the Bible tells us that the end time gospel goes to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And we as Seventh-day Adventists must carry out that special mission. Can you say amen to that? The most important thing to remember in ministering to Indian people is that God can give you power to reach the most devoted Hindus, Sikhs, or Muslims. Amen. That is the most important thing to remember. God can give you victory, and I stand, that's me speaking right there, as the testimony of it. The second thing to remember is that what's more important than the religion of Indians, ladies and gentlemen, is the mind of an Indian. The way they think and understand will help in ministering to them. I've come across many different Christians. They said, you know, I've just been really studying about Hinduism, and I've learned so much about Hinduism. I'm like, good, you've been reaching the Indian people? He's like, not really. It's seriously, I mean, people think if I learn more about the religion, I can know how to better reach them. Ladies and gentlemen, what's more important than the way someone, what someone believes as far as the religious background is the way they think. And I have really modeled a ministry towards Indian people because I understand the way they think. I found devout Hindus, not so devout Hindus, liberal Hindus, conservative Hindus, uh, conservative Sikhs, liberal Sikhs, you name it. And I'm realizing I'm dealing with every spectrum of Indian people. But I need to understand how they think. And if I understand how Indians think, I can better understand how to minister to them. Are we tracking yes or no? You go to some of these places that will say, we're going to teach you about Hinduism, how to reach Hindus. And all they will teach you about is the religion and not really how to effectively reach Indian people. I'm going to share with you some things that I have found that work every single time. Outreach. Here is what I call my outreach plan. Tactics. Number one, prayer relationships. Number two, internet evangelism. Number three, children's ministry. Number four, medical work. Number five, friendship evangelism. You know, we're going to have to write these things down. But I have found that one of these tactics always works. Prayer relationships, internet evangelism, children's ministry, medical work, or friendship evangelism. Kind of general terms, but we're going to get into some specifics in just a bit. Prayer relationships. Acts chapter 3 verse 6 says this. Then Peter said to talking to the man that was at the temple gate beautiful, silver and gold I do not have. You ever feel like, I don't know what to give to these people. If they have money, if they have education, they got family, what can I give to them? Well, ladies and gentlemen, Peter said something very similar. He said, silver or gold I don't have. I can't give to them the things of the world. But watch what he says. But what I do have, I what? Give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And by the way, what did he say about Jesus Christ? Where was he applying Jesus Christ's background to? Nazareth. What was Nazareth known for? The poor. And so what, G what Peter was doing intentionally, he was saying, let me introduce you about Jesus who knows what it's like to be poor. And that was very important because he made this message very relevant to this poor man. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. How to pray. Look what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. Jesus talking about the way that Gentiles pray. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless what? Repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. What God truly desires is genuine, authentic communication. Amen? My, for example, my dad has come from a very interesting sect of Hinduism. My dad um, was part of this sect called Satsangi, Radha Satsangis. And what they really believed in was meditation. 
And so when you became 18, you would go to India to where this particular guru was and you would learn these special words. And as you repeat these special words over and over and over and over again, you would have an experience with the divine. And so my dad, who worked two different jobs, he worked as a security guard and then he worked as a janitor. He'd work at night as a janitor. He'd come home for about three or four hours, sleep, and then I'd see him, he'd be meditating for about two hours and then go back to work. So this was his whole life. Every single day I would see him and go into his room, see if he was awake and he would just be up meditating. And he would be repeating these words over and over again because my dad was sincerely seeking to go, you know, to understand more about God. Now the question is, wait a minute, what does this have to do with prayer and how, does, how can we connect to Indians? I'm going to teach you something that works. It works. And that is this. I have this system that I sort of go across. When I'm talking to Indian people, I'll say this to them, okay? I'll say to them, I'm just letting you know, I'm praying for you, okay? And I continue to come across them and I'll say things to them, we'll have a good conversation. Say I meet them at the liquor store or whatever and I'll be like, hey, I'm just praying for you, I want you to know that. And they say, well, thank you, thank you very much. Because Indians believe in prayer and if it's a blessing, they'll accept it. Why reject it, right? So many times I'll start with that and I'll be like, hey, I'm praying for you, by the way. And they'll thank you. As I continue to make, reach out to them, you know what I start saying to them? I start saying to them, I'm I've been praying for you. Is there anything I could pray for you about? And they'll say, please pray for my family. And I'll just say, I'm going to pray God's blessing upon your family. And they say, please pray for my business. And if it's some liquor store business, I'm just like, I'll pray God will bless you. Okay? You know, so, you know, I, I'm very careful because I, I'm not going to pray God's blessing upon something that destroys men's lives. Right? And so I will pray that, but I will encourage them. And then what happens is I'll run to them again. I'm like, Hey, I've been praying for you. Anything else I can keep praying for you about? And what happens is they start opening up a dialogue and this takes place and I promise you it works. And then what eventually happens, ladies and gentlemen, as you can develop that prayer relationship, you go up to again and say, hey, you know, we've been talking about prayer. I'm praying for you. Good, thank you very much. Can I pray for you right now? I just want to pray God's special blessing. Thank you, we'll do that. I've done it multiple times, ladies and gentlemen. I've done it on my brother-in-law who was a very devout Hindu, I started talking to him and I said, hey, I'm praying for you. He's like, thank you very much. I would text him, I'm praying for you. I'd occasionally see him and I'd say, hey, I'm praying for you. And that's what I would start off. And then I said, hey, I've been praying for you. Is there anything I could pray for you about? And he's like, please pray for my job. I'm having some difficulties there. I said, I'm going to pray for your job. And what happens is he started to trust, trust me a little bit more to the place now I can put my arm around him. And I said, hey, can I pray with you before I leave? to go back up to where I live in Southern, Northern California? Yeah, he lets me pray with him, no problem. My sister, who was the worst of all my sisters when I became a Christian, she called the cops on me. She even said I went to some gay church too, you know, like it, she was saying all sorts of things to try to really hurt me because she was just really opposed to me being Christian. In fact, she threw out a bunch of my stuff. When I became a Christian, it was very difficult dealing with her, okay? Let me tell you something. She has gone through some difficult trials. And I've been texting her, I'm praying for you. And sometimes I get no response, sometimes I get thank you. And I wouldn't say anything more than that. Just recently, she called me up and she was crying. It was really cool because right there, I said, Angie, I'm gonna pray for you right now, okay? And she said, okay. And I got to pray with my sister for the very first time. 
And if God can work in my family's life, ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you, he can save any Indian. You know what I mean? <laughs> Seriously, like, my family is like just right there, let's kill the martyrs type people. Seriously, like that's my family is just very devout Hindus. And the very fact that took place, and that has taken years, ladies and gentlemen, but I have been consistent and I have been praying for these opportunities. First time, 10 years or 12 years since I became a Christian, I actually prayed with my sister. And I prayed in Jesus' name so she understood who would be answering this prayer. A few days later, she texted me. And I said, I'm praying for you again. And she said, thank you. I have peace when you talk to me. My sister's a doctor down in Southern California. She recently had some struggles. And I have found that this prayer relationship Developing this really works, ladies and gentlemen. Number one, just start with telling people you're praying for them. You don't have to go beyond it. Don't get into all sorts of things. I'm praying you stop being a Hindu. You don't need to get into that yet, okay? <laughs> just wait, right? Second thing is, as you develop that relationship, you say, what can I pray for you about? And they say, you don't need to pray for me. I say, I'm praying for you. I'm going to pray God's blessing. Do you want God's blessing upon your life? Yeah. Start with that. They will accept it. Third thing is, as you continue to build it, they become trusting. You just all of a sudden, just in the midst of it, just say, I want to pray for you right now, okay? Okay. And you just bow your head and you pray for them. And you will find them close their eyes. I mean, sometimes I pray with Indians. I look up, just make sure their eyes are closed. <laughs> and their eyes are closed in reverence, ladies and gentlemen. Because there is truly God and his angels present. When the name of Jesus, Ellen White says, when the name of Jesus is spoken, angels draw near. So I, I'm very intentional about that. I have found it works, ladies and gentlemen. You need to do this. A prayer relationship works. Start off by telling them, I'm praying for you. You don't need to say anything more than that. Then tell them, I want, I'm going to be praying for God's blessings. What do you want me to pray for? And then you get into the place. And what you're doing, ladies and gentlemen, you're essentially taking the ball out of your own hands. You're putting it in God's hand. And you're leaving it up to God to answer those prayers. For God to show himself strong. If these people are praying in his name, ladies and gentlemen, God will honor that prayer. And so now God begins to have divine providence even more in their lives. And they start recognizing, wait a minute, every time I pray with this person, God is answering prayers. Things are happening. I want you to pray for me again. And that begins to open the door, ladies and gentlemen. Amen? Okay. Internet evangelism. Internet evangelism. How many people have ever had problems with their computer and have called somebody who's transferred you to India? <laughs> Hello, this is Bobby. <laughs> you're like, you're not Bobby. What's your real name? Bapinder. You know, so, <laughs> you know, I just, I have done that I'm numerous times, okay? But I have found the internet to be very resourceful winning people. And I'll tell you why. Because any inter Indians are very internet savvy, uh, tech savvy. When I was doing a series in Mountain View, California, ladies and gentlemen, I have found so many Indian people there. I mean, it was crazy. They were all over the place there. You know, and they were working for Google. In fact, Google was actually bringing in um, uh, Indians from India and they were getting them educated and they were making a lot of money right there in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley actually has more PhDs per square mile than any place in the United States. Very interesting. And so the internet can be a wonderful resource to reaching Indian people. Okay? When your computer messes up 
and you get on the phone and they transfer you to a very polite Indian gentleman, ladies and gentlemen, you preach the gospel to them. Because they're not getting off that phone till your problem is solved. <laughs> and I'll be like this, they'll be like, and this are, these are examples of this, and they'll call and I'll be like, hey, so uh, where are you at? Well, I'm not supposed to say. Are you in Bombay? <laughs> I said, you're in Bombay, Mumbai. <laughs> and so what happens? And they say, yeah. I say, are you Indian? Your name sounds Indian. I said, yeah, Anil, I'm Indian. And what happens is I'll talk to them. I'm like, good. And they're like, good. And I'll be like, they always ask this question inevitably. What do you do for a living? And I'll say, I'm a pastor of a church. I said, you ever been to church before? Uh, no, I have not. And I said, are there any churches in your area? Yes. I said, I want you to check out an awesome church. It's an awesome church for Indian people. Just go there once. Don't worry about it. He's like, what's the name? I go, it's the Seventh-day Adventist church. You got to check it out. And he's like, all right, I'll check it out. And what you're doing is you're planting seeds, ladies and gentlemen. What was crazy, one time my computer broke down. I talked to a guy in Mumbai, literally a few hours right before Mumbai was attacked by terrorists. You never know the future of people when you come across them. And when you get on the phone and you meet people who are, you know, they, where they have outsourced a lot of the work, feel free just to preach Jesus to them and teach them about the beauty of the gospel. It is, you have a captive audience, literally, okay? But the internet evangelism is, gets very interesting. I'm going to share something with you. You will find a lot of people, a lot of Indians who are actually curious about the gospel. They will not go to a church, but what they will do is they will go online and they will check out certain things. Be mindful of that, okay? If you have a friend who's asking you a question, ladies and gentlemen, if you have a question and he asks you online, he'd rather do it online than actually uh, talk to you about it in person because what he's doing is he's interested, but he knows it's not appropriate. So the internet can become a wonderful platform in reaching people and you're sharing the gospel in a beautiful way. In fact, what was so interesting, there was a computer programmer in Modesto, California. He was a Christian, but he was an Adventist and he was uh, Indian. I actually have the email conversation. Watch what happens right here, okay? This is funny. His name is Vin. I got his permission. He emails me out of the blue. Good morning, Pastor. I want to do the accent, but I'm not going to. Good morning, Pastor Nell. How are you? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I am a born-again Christian who is searching for the truth. In my recent search, God revealed to some, to some something <laughs> that has devastated me. I never knew the actual definition of sin. That is how sin is the transgression of the law, and how the law is the actual Ten Commandments. After doing my own personal research, I have come to realize that throughout the Bible, it is always referring to the Ten Commandments. I see it so clearly. I am guilty of the sin of being a Christian for so long, and I have never once kept the Sabbath. I'd like to know more. Thank you. In Christ, Vin. Now, what's interesting is Indians will be curious, but they will never go the next step. So in the midst of conversation, they may say to you, well, what do you guys believe in? And you'll share it, and they don't want any more. And I'm realizing this is the mindset I'm dealing with right here, okay? Watch how this conversation proceeds. Yes, where are you coming from? What church do you attend? That's me, by the way, Pastor Nell. And then he writes back, Hi, Pastor. Currently, I'm attending a Pentecostal church in, in Modesto. And I was like, Indians and Pentecostals? I was like, Indians are one of the most stoic people in the world. They don't, you know, go crazy. <laughs> so I was, like, I was like really confused by that. And I was like, huh? Okay. And then I wrote, but how'd you find out about me? And I'm always careful in case someone's trying to kill me. Have we met? <laughs> you never know. 
guys don't know? He wrote back, no, sir. I looked up your website. It has your email there. Pastor Nell, I would like to know more about your church, please. This is a big step I'm taking against the grain. So I want to be sure, really sure. I pray you don't mind, please. So watch this. Sure, we can meet and I can share some things. I'm trying to get a person-to-person -person contact. I need to get to a place where I can talk to him in words and share things. By keeping it just at that level of writing, ladies and gentlemen, it's not going to go very far. You need to go the next step. And so uh, watch what happens, okay? Sure, we can meet and I can give you some, share some things. He sidesteps what I say. I have many questions. I've always thought my church and denomination was the most upright or Bible-based. However, I grew in my faith. I became more of a truth seeker rather than just sitting on the pew and believe what is being preached. I have come to find out many flaws, and what I thought was biblical came to be that some were mere traditions of men. Easter, Christmas, Sunday worship. I don't know about you, but I really like Christmas, okay? <laughs> and I am not, now, I'm sorry, now I'm not saying the intent was wrong, but everything was simply based off tradition. No scriptural significance, but I tolerate it. What really pushed me to the edge was, seventh, was the seventh-day Sabbath. Apart from God's Ten Commandments, do you observe or keep anything that I may not find in the Bible? Now, this could be a point for me to start sharing really off-the-wall things and address, listen to what I'm about to say, address non-essentials. I am not going to address non-essentials here, okay? Whether or not Seventh-day Adventist wants to keep Christmas is up to them, okay? The Sabbath is one thing, but Christmas or Easter, those are traditions, okay? And it's up to them whether they want to do it. I am not going to address this issue and make this church look like some kind of, uh, you know, really just very almost pharisaical type church. I will only get to the essentials, and that's very important, ladies and gentlemen. Listen to what I'm saying. You don't avoid controversial topics, okay? Oh, man. Yeah, you got to be careful because these Jesuits, we got Jesuits in our own church too, man. It's not going to work for you. you know, I, I'm not going to say things like that. You hear what I'm saying? I only want to stick with the truth, the very clear truth. Now watch how I answer it, because I don't want to lose this guy, okay? Well, all tradition is not the problem. It's only when it conflicts with the commandments of God. Can we agree with that, yes or no? I hope so. Mark chapter 7, verse 9. You reject the commandments of God that you may keep your own tradition. For example, the making of Sunday holy, when the Ten Commandments state clearly, remember the Sabbath day, is a violation of the law. Hence, sin. I am not getting to deep theological language here. I'm keeping it simple, okay? There are other deceptions. Now watch this. I'm trying to lure him out. There are other deceptions as well God wants us to be aware of. I was born and raised a Hindu, but I became a Seventh-day Adventist. I have not found a church that more clearly follows the what? Bible than the SDA church. I'm avoiding anything negative. It is balanced, Bible-based, and Christ-centered. Now watch this. I'm trying to get him out. I think God is leading you, but I would like to what? Meet. You have questions. I can share what I know. You decide if it's Bible-based, okay? He sidesteps me again. Thanks, Anel. I will keep in touch. We'll post more soon. And I was like, this guy, I'm going to lose this guy. Okay? <laughs> watch this. Now this. He said, this is me right here. I was a little fed up, actually, right here, not going to lie. <laughs> now that you know the truth, God wants you to follow it. Okay, you should come to the church this Sabbath and see for yourself. See what I'm trying to do? I'm, I need to get into a face-to-face -face contact with him. Okay? He sidesteps me again. Hey, my friend. <laughs> I just hope you don't mind my such frequent questions. 
Some may sound ridiculous. I apologize. Do you guys also keep any other feasts, such as the Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of the Trumpets, and so on? Any Sabbaths you keep? I love this. Do you believe in the Trinity? What am I supposed to do on Sabbath? And who was Alan G. White? <laughs> I don't know who that is. Do you know who that is? <laughs> okay. I know. Please, uh, do, do please bear with me as I'm searching for the right church. I don't want to end up in a church that has some unbiblical belief system, such as LDS or Mormons. LOL! It's exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, okay? Again, I, I'm, I'm not going to keep distance with this communication. He lives locally. I've got to take it to the next step. You've got to sit down with people, ladies and gentlemen. And as you just sit down, the Spirit of God will work, okay? The Spirit of God takes over, and you just share the love of Christ with them, and you see what it does. It melts hearts, okay? But I realize that in my communication on email, I don't sound as a loving, beautiful Christian witness. I mean, I'm just like, okay, I just got to get this guy. We got to meet. We got to meet. So this is what I write next. No, we don't keep feast days. The Mosaic Law was done away with at the cross. The Ten Commandments were not. The Bible teaches the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. Well, one, you should worship on the Sabbath as Jesus did. If you follow Christ, then do as Christ. He went to the place of worship on Sabbath. Now watch this. Here's the thing. I still think we should meet. <laughs> you can find out whether or not the church has unbiblical beliefs by doing Bible studies. I can give you some and you can do it. And I love what I say right here. I don't really love it, but here's what it says. I know I sound like a broken record, but if you are really searching, what are you afraid to meet? Why are you afraid to meet? I had to say it because I was just like, I'm going to lose this guy, and to him, this will just be some lesson on um, curiosity and spiritual stuff. Watch this. There's no pressure. Emails is not the same as studying the Bible. We can meet for 30 minutes. By the way, anytime, this is a cool Bible study tip. tip. The way I get Bible studies with people, I don't tell them, hey, I want to start a lot of Bible studies with you. You know what I say? Let's study once, 30 minutes. The first Bible study, you know what the appeal is? Let's keep studying the Bible. Most people will commit to that 30 minutes. I have found the most skeptical of people will say, sure, I'll do 30 minutes once. In that Bible study, I'm just like talking about the Word and their need of the Word and how the truth is found in the Word and why they need to keep studying the Word. At the end, I'll be like, do you want to continue learning more about God? Yeah. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Trust me, it's as simple as that. And you know what happens right here? The very next email, we meet, him and his whole family are baptized. Wow. Woo, it, was, it was like a long one, that one was, right? It took course a few weeks because I was just like, this brother, he's just avoiding me right now. I was like, finally I had to just go for the, the jugular right there. Why are you afraid to meet? You know, like that was it for me. <laughs> but here's the thing, I know the truth could only go forward if we sat down and had a Bible study, ladies and gentlemen. You need to sit down with people. Get them in a Bible study 30 minutes. And don't go two hours on that Bible study, okay? 30 minutes, okay? And by the way, one of the hard things is that when you're getting literature and you're like, how come when I'm passing out to Indian people, they're not really interested? Because Hindu, listen to what I'm going to say, Hindu literature is so voluminous. In other words, there's so much Hindu literature and none of it really makes sense to the common person. So when they see spiritual literature being passed out to them, you know, they look at it and they're like, well, I really, I'll throw it away. Sometimes it works, but for the majority of them, they're so used to literature that it's just like, okay, not that big of a deal. 
But ladies and gentlemen, if you sit down with them and have contact, you will be surprised by what God can do. Amen? I got his permission to share that email, by the way. He's in Washington, and he's a faithful member of a Seventh-day Adventist church up there, and he is serving faithfully, and the church loves him up there. Children's programs, children's programs. This is an extremely important element in outreach. If you have children program, you know what you're going to find out? You're going to find a lot of Indian parents will actually send their kids to be part of children's programs. You know, before I became a Seventh-day Adventist, I found out something. When I was younger... My family used to always take me to this uh, church. It was a, um, just for, on their little, I don't know what it was. It was like their VBS program, okay? I didn't know anything about it, but all I knew is that my dad was very comfortable with me being there, okay? He let me be there. I found out later it's a Seventh-day Adventist church. You know, it could have been some old person praying for me, you know, and God never forgot those prayers. But all I'm saying is this, is that children programs attract kids. I actually had Sikh parents show up, literally, Last week, and they said to me, they're like, we're, we're looking for uh, somewhere we can drop the kids off. <laughs> and, and I was thinking, okay, like, what day? And they're like, Saturday. And I was like, Saturday. I was like, drop them off. They're like, what time? It's like 9.30. And they're like, well, what time do we have to pick them up? And I was like, well, Pollock usually ends around 2. They're like, oh, no, we need to, somebody to watch them until 5.30. You know, but I, I recognize more and more, I'm like, Wow, they are people who are just looking for places to leave their kids. VBS programs have Indian kids be part of it. Why? Because parents will say, okay, I'll let them go to a children's program. And as children receive the gospel, ladies and gentlemen, they can be a witness for Christ. Amen? Uh, last year, I, met a, uh, I get this call from people in Fresno, and they tell me, they're like, hey, they tell me, they're like, you've got to meet this Sikh man. He just started showing up in our church, and we don't know what he's saying, but he keeps coming to our church. And I was like, well, I can understand a little bit of Punjabi. I can't speak, but I said, bring him. I want to meet him face to face. They drove an hour and a half one Sabbath morning. They came, and we sat, and I preached, and I know he didn't understand a single thing that he said. Half of you can understand what I'm saying half the time either. So what happens is, right afterwards, I said, let's sit down. We sat down for potluck. We started talking. I understood what he said to me in Punjabi, and he told me this. He said this, I was walking by the church, and they were having a children's program. And he said, I bring my children to that. He brought his children to that, and he said, I met these nice people, and he was pointing to the seventh day They didn't know what he was saying. They were just like, yeah. <laughs> and he said this. He said, they have been so loving to me. He said, they invited me to their house on lunch for potluck. He said, I went to their house. They fed me. And he said, I wanted to make it up to them. So he said, you know what I did? I invited them to my house. I had my wife make the most delicious Indian food. And then he said something crazy. He said, but you will never believe what happened. And he says, why I'm so interested in this right now. I go, why? He said, while we're about to eat, he said, these men, and he's pointing to those, the smiling Adventists, and he said, they said, can we pray before we eat? So I said, okay. So he said, I bowed my head. And he said, his wife bowed his head. And he said, they prayed. But then he said, my wife put her head up. And then she started just moving around a little bit in the chair, and she was hitting me on the shoulder, and I was like, you know, you said that was just this? And then he said, we came out of the prayer, and then she turned to me, and she's like, did you see him? And she's, he's just like, what? Did you see him? And he's like, what? Who? And he said this. She said, my wife told me that when these men were praying, Jesus appeared right behind them. And she said, God is with these men. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something. 
When you're witnessing to an Indian person or Sikh or Muslim or Hindu, God has already been working on their hearts. Amen? God has already been working on their hearts. Children programs work. In fact, what you will find in academies, you will find probably one out of two academies has a Sikh child going to it. In my church, uh, we have an academy. We have about two or three Sikh kids there. I was up in Northern California doing a prayer conference. There was a Sikh girl there who had been through there. Her dad was actually the head of the Gudwada. And you know why he put his kids in the Adventist school? Because they wouldn't face discrimination there. This girl had been exposed to the gospel throughout the whole time at school. And you know what's so amazing? I met her one time. We sat down. We had a Bible study. I shared with her the story of the Good Samaritan. And she's like, well, you know, why, would, why, would, why should I be part of this? And I shared with her, I said, you know, Jesus wants to save you. And then she says, I'm Indian, she said. She's like, I'm an outsider, not with these people. And I said, you know what's so amazing? The Good Samaritan? You know who that's a picture of? And she said, who? Christ. I said, he identified himself as somebody who was not ethnically Jew. She just started crying at that moment. She's in India right now finishing up med school. She's not a converted Christian or Adventist, but let me tell you something. She posts on her Facebook, and I keep tabs on these people, like stuff about Chris Tomlin. Now, you don't have to be in Chris Tomlin, but the very fact she's writing about, please pray for me. She's writing Christian lingo on her Facebook over and over again. Why? Because of the influence the schools had. And I know in time, this woman is going to be saved. It's so funny, when I met her parents, at their graduation, the parents were like, we're really proud of our children. And he was like showing off the money he had. He says, I'm head of the Gurdwara and stuff. And I was like trying to understand fully what he was saying in Punjabi. And he's like, and I have my two boys right here. And he showed me his two boys. They came right there. They're really young. And he said, let me show you a picture. And he pulled out this picture. It was really cute. And he said, here it is. And he had somehow, I guess one day, he decided to pull a full turban on these little kids' head. And so they had a big man-sized turban on them. He's like, look at them. They're so cute. They were trying out my turbans. Anyways. <laughs> the medical field. Medical field. You will find many Indians in the medical field. But if you are in the medical field, you will find Indians actually have a high respect for those in the medical field. When we do our health fair, we'll have Indians showing up out of the woodwork and they said, hey, we're looking to get a little bit of help here. Can you help us out here? Indians have a high respect for the medical office. So if you're a nurse, you're a doctor of some kind, you actually have a great advantage in Indian people. And so what I would highly recommend to you is really minister to them. They are open to it. Um, Whenever Indians show up at my church, you know who I introduce them to if they're older Indian? I have one of my doctors, he, one of my elders, he's a doctor, and I said, Ed, come over here for a second, I want you to meet some people. And they'll meet him and they'll be like, wow, you have professionals here. And they're very impressed by that. And so what's so interesting is that they have a high respect for those in the medical field. So if you have some kind of um, participation in the medical field, you actually have an advantage in reaching Indian people. Seriously, no joke. That is 100% truth. Indians will listen to doctors about medical advice, physical advice, and, listen to me, even spiritual advice. You have an advantage. Friendship evangelism right there. Take a good look at the guy at the middle. His name was Abraham Hardaway. This was the individual who was responsible for my conversion. He doesn't look like the type of guy that could win an Indian person, could he? Let me tell you about him. He was unbaptized, kicked out of academies, and this guy brought me to Jesus right here. You know how? 
Very interesting concept that we've heard a million times in a lot of evangelism class right here. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior what? Mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed his what? Sympathy for them and ministered to their what? Needs and won their confidence and he bade them what? Follow me. My friend Abraham Hardaway. Very interesting friend. You know what he did? He just became part of my life. He became part of my life. And when I had questions, he began to answer these questions. But he stuck it out. He was so consistent with me as a friend. Many times we have this view. Well, if they're not accepting immediately, I'm going to cut off my friendship with them. Or I'm not going to talk with them. If they're not accepting the gospel as I'm giving to them at this very moment, well, that's too bad. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to be consistently with people. Even at first, they don't accept that gospel. You will find in time that their hearts will begin to be more and more open as they come across you. The Bible says in John chapter 1, the word became what? Flesh and what? Dwelt outside of them. Is that what it says? Among them. If you got Indian people, don't back away. Don't back away. If you got friends who are Indian, neighbors who are Indian, you go out of your way and you just be part of their lives. Go up to them and just say, hey, I'm interested in your cooking. You like Indian food? Help me to make some Indian food. Just mingle with them and you will find as you consistently mingle with one, they begin to trust you. A lot of Indians actually do not trust American people. You know why? Because they think they're up to something. They really do. The older traditional Indians are very, very careful about that. And so what you need to do is you need to show yourself a consistent Christian. Can you say amen to that? And that is by being a good friend even to the lost. And as you continue to do that, ladies and gentlemen, you will find yourself eventually over and over again, people will start asking questions after questions after questions, and that will lead you a step further and a step further. It works. It works. You are the light of the world, Christ declares. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. God's work in the earth in these last days is to reflect the light that Christ brought into the world. The light is to dissipate the what? Gross darkness of ages. These heathen nations will accept what? Eagerly the instruction given to them in the knowledge of who? God. God calls us to understand him. And you know what the Bible says? That many of these Gentiles, many of these people who come out of these pagan religions are going to say this, O Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in the day of affliction, the Gentiles shall come to you from the ends of the earth, saying, Surely our fathers have inherited what? Lies, worthless and unprofitable things. In other words, these are converted Gentiles, converted pagans who say, You know what? My whole background, my religion was just a lie. It came from my ancestry. Now watch what they say. Will a man make gods for themselves which are not gods? Therefore, behold, and I love how God ends this, this once caused them to know, will cause them to know my hand and my might, and they shall know that my name is the Lord. Amen? I'm going to end with this story. You know, I, I have neck problems. I broke my back several years ago, and so I still suffer some issues back there. And so I go to this chiropractor, okay? And he has an Indian assistant who's this Sikh guy. And it's hard when you're, like, when you're working, like, when you're trying to witness to people who are dentists or chiropractors, it's very difficult when your neck is being twerked or your mouth is being worked on, right? He was working on my neck, okay? And the inevitable question comes up, which is, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And there's the general pause. I wait for the pause. And the pause came, and then he said, why? <laughs> and I was like, well, because of Bible prophecy, 
And I started sharing a few things, and I was like, this is not working right now with him, okay? And he's like, this is what he said to me. He said, you know, all these religions, he said, they're all the same at the core of it. They're very similar. They teach the same things at the core of it. He said it just like that to me. And I'm there, and I'm like, oh, I want to answer you right now, but my neck is being torqued. And finally, when he released my neck, and I, you know, I said to him, I said, I got up and I looked at him in his eyes and I said, brother, it's not about it. It's about him. And I said, discovering who he is. I said, the journey of life, friend, is to discover who was there from the very beginning, the one who made all of these things. And then he said to me, well, some people say that the world came through chance. And I said, brother, nothing ever comes from nothing. It came from someone. I said, God is watching over you, friend, and he is trying to work in your life. And then he said this to me. He looked down. He said, thank you. And then I said, brother, I'm praying for you. <laughs> I never forgot that response. And you know what his response was? He looked down. He said, I need it. Just a normal Indian guy, ladies and gentlemen, who needs the gospel just as much as any person. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you so much for saving our lives, God. And we pray that we would not back away from the challenge of reaching out and ministering, but we pray, God, that you would give us courage and victory and power to reach souls, regardless of their background or religion. Father, we thank you, because I know there are people in here who are going to save many Indian people, and other people as well. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, please visit us online at www.gycweb.org.